Uh, for the last year, we have, the first Sunday of every month, we've been going through Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And today, because it's the beginning of a new Chinese New Year, we're going to start a study of the book of James. And I plan to, Lord willing, bring a message the first Sunday of every month for the next 12 months on the book of James, on our Communion Sunday. You know, I've shared with you that there's nothing more precious, and there has nothing been more precious than the words of Christ. And for the last 12 months, we've listened to the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. But equally precious as the words of Christ are the words of the Holy Spirit spoken to you and to me through the apostles and the prophets and through the writers of the, of the New Testament. And today we will start looking at the book of James. Now James is one of the oldest books in the New Testament. First and Second Thessalonians were the first, the two oldest, and then James was the first book written after the stoning of Stephen in the book of Acts and after the dispersion of the Jews throughout the world. So it is a very old book. And James was the brother of our Lord Jesus, or half-brother of our Lord Jesus. He was also the first, he was also the senior pastor, the lead pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Now, Peter, we're told, is the head of the church, but Peter was an evangelist. Peter went all around, as did Paul. But James stayed in Jerusalem, and he pastored the church in Jerusalem. And we see in Acts that James had a lot of authority because when Paul and Barnabas came to share what they had been sharing in their gospel, to be sure that they hadn't, weren't going astray, and Peter was at present, all the apostles were there, James is the one who said, it is my judgment that we trouble these men, we do not trouble these men with any burdens at all. He said, it's my judgment, and everyone submitted to the judgment of James. We're told through church writings that James was martyred. Around 30 years after the death of Christ, he was thrown off the temple walls and then was clubbed to death. Just like most of the 12, except for John, he, he died a martyr's death. The book of James has five chapters. In the first chapter, we get a, a kind of a picture of some of the themes that will be developed in the other five chapters. One is to be encouraged in times of trial. To be encouraged in times of trial. Another is our need for wisdom. Our need for wisdom. A third theme is the necessity of faith. The necessity of faith. Then James talks about how we should treat the poor and the rich. Fifth, he talks about the need to put faith in action. The need to put faith in action. And finally, the final theme is that we need to learn to control our tongues. We need to learn to control our tongues. And those six themes that are in James chapter 1 will be developed in the other four chapters as we go through the book of James. Now the book opens up with James introducing himself. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes that are scattered abroad. Greetings. Now who are the twelve tribes? The twelve tribes are the tribes of Israel. And they have been scattered through what we know now as Turkey, Asia Minor. And the reason they were scattered 
is because after Jesus had resurrected from the dead, all the Jews kind of huddled around Jerusalem. We call it a holy huddle. And they just enjoyed being with each other and having fellowship and breaking bread together and loving each other and going and whatever. But Jesus had, had put out this great commandment. He said, go into the ends of the world. Preach the gospel. Tell men of me. But the Christians just didn't seem to get moving. So God used circumstances. Circumstances to basically the Romans started persecuting the Christians. And the Jews persecuted the Christians, and the Christians fled. And they spread into what's known as Asia Minor, all that area which is now known as Turkey. So this is who he is addressing the letter to, to basically Jewish Christians who have fled Jerusalem and have gone into the parts of the world. And this is how Father started building his church through circumstances that were not favorable to the Christians in Jerusalem. Now he introduces himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, this is important. He identifies himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there was a song years ago, I can't even remember, the, yeah, I do remember the name of the song, it was called You Gotta Serve Somebody. It was a guy by the name of Bob Dylan in the 90s. He said, you've got to serve somebody. And you know all of us serve somebody or serve something. Basically, we serve what we depend upon. If you depend upon your work, you will serve your work. If you depend upon your money, you will serve your money. If you depend upon your influence, you will serve being in a position of influence. Whatever we put our dependence in, whatever we look to for our security... That's what we serve. James, James was putting his security in his Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the natural result of putting our faith and trust in Father and in Jesus is to serve them. Is to serve them. Because we will serve that which we love. We will serve that which we depend upon. What we depend upon is what we serve. And this is why Jesus made that point. He says, do not depend upon anything in this earth where everything moves, everything breaks, where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. Place all your dependence, all your treasure, all your security in heaven. For where your dependence is, there your heart will abide. That is what you will serve. James says, James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. Now he starts out by saying, count it all joy when you experience various trials. Count it all joy when you experience various trials. When was the last time you got real excited about a trial? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its perfect work or complete work that you may be tired, complete, lacking, and wanting in nothing. Count it all joy. Now, what did these Christians just come from? What circumstance? They were in Jerusalem. They had homes. They had houses. They had families there. They fled. They, they, they left a lot of their belongings. Many of them were beat physically, certainly persecuted. They had fled these circumstances. He says, count it all joy when you fall into, when you experience diverse, very different types of trials. 
knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the trying of my faith, produces steadfastness. And what is steadfastness? Steadfastness is loyalty. Loyalty in the presence of trouble, in the presence of opposition. Loyalty in the presence of opposition, in the presence of trouble. And the things we need to be loyal to, to be steadfast, is we need to be loyal to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need to be loyal to the conviction that God is love, and because God is love, God loves me and God loves you. We must be loyal to that conviction. That God is love, and because God is love, he loves me and he loves you. And then we must also be loyal to the the conviction that God is sovereign, and nothing, nothing happens without his knowledge of it. So whatever happens to you, whatever happens to me, God is completely aware of it. If he wanted to stop it, he could. If he doesn't stop it, he will use it for our good and his glory. Why? Because God is love, and therefore God loves me, and God loves you. There's nothing, brothers and sisters, that will come into your life that don't pass through the hands of Christ, through his fingers. And you must remember that there's nail scars in those hands. So if he lets something into your life or into my life that doesn't seem tasteful, that's not something we want, you and I must remember God is love, God loves you, God loves me. If we ask for him a prayer, we pray about something we want, and he does not answer the way we want, that doesn't mean God doesn't love us. It's actually there's two good answers to every question, yes and no. And when God answers no, why does he answer no? Because God is love. And he knows our needs. He sees the future. He's got everything covered. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its complete work, that you may be tired, complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, now, let's beg the question. We're having trials so we don't lack anything. Do you lack anything this morning? Do I lack anything this morning? Yes, we do. We lack steadfastness. And what is steadfastness? It's loyalty. Loyalty to the person and loyalty to the conviction that God is love and that God is sovereign. And we place our loyalty on those things and those things which you and I depend upon. James was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was completely loyal. You and I, unfortunately, are not completely dependent upon God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, our loyalties are divided. And because our loyalties are divided, we're not as steadfast as we should be. And that's what he wants to complete. This steadfastness is that we will be complete, entire, walking nothing. Now, how does the trial work? Well, the trial works like this. You wake up tomorrow, this morning and you go to the office and you find out that your job has been replaced by a machine. You go home and you and I feel like our world has just come to an end. And our eyes go blind and our ears go deaf and our mind goes crazy. My world has come apart. 
If your world comes apart, if my world comes apart, when something breaks or something moves, God is showing us that we are securing ourselves in that thing, and that thing needs to be replaced by security in Him. If we secure ourselves in our health, if we secure ourselves in our work, if we can secure ourselves in a political point of view, and that point of view does not come into power, into place, then our lives are disturbed. There was a, there was a, a Greek god, Achilles. And Achilles, he was a strong man. I mean, he could just take out anybody. But he had this little spot in his heel. And all you had to do is touch it. And you could take Achilles down. And to everything, all of us had that Achilles heel too. And Father wants to completely close that so we cannot be taken down by the evil one. You know, I know you see these remote control cars in the old days. They had, a, they had this little a wire and the car's down here. Well, let's consider there's a car down here and you've got ten remotes. So I'm pushing this remote, and the car's going this way, then somebody hits that remote, and the car goes that way, hits it, and the car starts flipping over because there's five of us with remote controls. What we, and that's the way we often are. We're like a little car, and there's all these remote, we're remotely controlled by everything we depend on other than him. And when that moves and when that breaks, we move, we break, we flip with it. So what's the answer? We've got to gather up all the remote controls and put them in Father's hands in his hands. And then he will lead us forward, backward, sideways, around. It's very similar to the teaching of James. James is teaching is similar to the teaching of Jesus. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And God allows these trials to come into your life and into my life to show us where our Achilles heels are where our dependence lie other than in him. And to the extent we lie in other places other than him, we do not have dependence upon him. You know, Jesus had 365 wonderful days every day of his life except the last day. And that was a very bad day. And the reason he did is because for 365 days every day of his life, he lived this life of total dependence upon the Father. And anything that moved and anything that broke, he didn't move and break with it because all of his life and dependence was in Father. The very last day was a very bad day for Jesus because on that day, he was separated from his Father without grace and sent to this cross and had the weight and the sins of mankind laid upon him without grace that he could purchase you and me. That was a very bad day. But because he suffered that very bad day, in theory, you and I never have to have a bad day because we can have grace. And grace abounds, like that song we sang, grace abounds to us when our dependence, where our abiding is in him and not in things. Because it all moves, it all breaks, it all gets polluted. Do you want to be polluted? Do you want to move? Do you want to break? You know... There's a teaching that if you just get your, your, your dance step down with Jesus, that nothing moves and nothing breaks. But that's not what Scripture teaches. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. That's a promise. In this world you will have trouble. But he says, be of good cheer. I 
have overcome the world. And the peace I give you is not as the world gives. Give I unto you. It's a very impartation of my nature, he says. Peace, I live with you. My peace, I give. My peace, I impart to you. Jesus wants to impart to each of us peace in times of trial. One of the great scriptures, Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good to those who trust him, who love him, who are the call according to his purpose. Remember one of the things I said to be, we needed to be loyal to, that conviction that God is sovereign, that God is good, that God is going to use every circumstance for our benefit. You know, we, something comes up in our life, they say, oh, this is a stumbling block, we can't go forward. No, God says it's a stepping stone. Just keep looking to me, looking to me. And if you and I are fearful, the reason we're fearful, the reason we're filled with fear, is because we have not yet cast ourselves wholly upon him. So James goes on to say next, that if any man lacks wisdom in dealing with these trials, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all men and doesn't reproach us for asking him. But he says, let him ask in faith, not doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave driven by the wind. Let that man not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is an unstable man. He's a double-minded man. He is unstable in all his ways. Now, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Is it, you know... Lucifer is not wise, but he's smart, and he has a lot of experience, but he's not wise. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective, seeing our trials from God's perspective, seeing what's happening to other people around us from God's perspective, not from man's perspective. There's an old American Indian slogan that says, you know, you need to walk another mile. You need to walk a mile in another man's moccasins until you can understand the man. You know, until you've walked a mile in a man's shoes, you won't understand the man. There's a lot of truth in that. But where that truth ends up is not always wisdom. Because the truth of the matter is, you can go into the very worst prison today and go to the very worst criminal. And you can hear his story from the time he was a little boy to the time he got to whatever he did to put him in that prison. And you and I will completely understand. We can even empathize with what he did. But it doesn't excuse it. It doesn't excuse it. And we need to be careful that if we start seeing things through the eyes of one another, that we become empathetic of them and we do not see it from God's perspective. To have wisdom, we need to get up in the Father's arms and let him hold us in his arms, and then we see circumstances and people through his perspective. Now, my wife's not here this morning, but she, she, she doesn't mind me saying this. But my wife can't stand to see anybody in any sort of dis-ease. So if she sees someone in dis-ease, it causes her displeasure, dis-ease, and she wants to go relieve them of that. 
But oftentimes, you know, you and I are like little dolls that Father is crafting, and we're on his workbench. And if someone or something just takes us off that bench, then we short the process that he is working on us to make us complete, entire, wanting nothing. Oftentimes, circumstances are the very things that God uses to conform you and I into the image of Christ. He used my wife to conform me more and more into the image of Christ because I've told you, I'll forgive myself almost anything. But I love my wife and my children so much, I did not want them living with my flesh. But boy, I wasn't married a week before I got a, a view of my flesh I had never seen before until I was with Kathy. What do I do? Run out of the marriage? Leave the circumstance? No, no, no. We stay there. We stay there. and Let God use us. Let me show you just how stupid this is. The day I get home from work, the first day after marriage, I come home and every picture, every piece of furniture in my bachelor apartment had been moved because her mother came over and her mother rearranged her house once a month. I grew up in a home where nothing ever moved in my house from the time I was born to the time I left home. I didn't say anything, but after her mother left, I just took every picture, put it back where it was, moved every piece of furniture back where it was, and I put my wife in a terrible circumstance. She's trying to please her husband. She's trying to please her mother. And I'm such a baby that my security is in what? In where my furniture is placed or my security is in the, that my wife's going to ask my opinion or this or that. I mean, this is what Father had to work with, with me. My wife also has the gift of giving. So I remember someone was at our house and they said, oh, that's a beautiful necklace. She said, do you like it? And she said, yeah. She said, well, why did you just take it? Well, I had given her that necklace. Ah. <laughs> Count it all joy. Because what these trials show us is that we are not complete, lacking nothing. We are incomplete, holding on to things that move and break. And we got to let go. We got to hold life very, very loosely and hold Jesus very, very tightly. And then when things move and break around us, we don't move, we don't break. Now I'm with Kathy. Somebody compliments. I know it's going. I just say, oh, just don't. Don't compliment her dress. <laughs> but anything short of that. I mean, we had a maid this morning. And my daughter's here. And she called and said, you know, we could use the maid. Kathy said, whoops, send the maid over. Our toilets are dirty. Our house is undone. But this is Kathy. And it's just wonderful. I've learned I'm, I'm completely free with Kathy now. <laughs> I've heard, and it's a lot of things in life. There was a time, um, if I didn't have five months mortgage in the bank, I got concerned. Then if I didn't have four months mortgage in the bank, I was concerned. If I didn't have three, if I didn't have two, if I didn't have one. And then one day, it was a Friday afternoon, and I didn't have the mortgage payment. And you know what? I had peace like a river. And Father said, hey, that's a bigger thing that you have peace without that mortgage payment in the bank than if I give him the mortgage payment. And that was the blessing. My propensity for pain has gotten so small, brothers and sisters, that I do not want to abide in anything other than him. Because when I do, and it moves and it breaks, I move and I break with it.
So count it all joy when various things fall into your life this week, knowing that God will use these things to grow in you perseverance and that that will make you complete and entire wanting nothing. Next time we'll talk more about wisdom and being double-minded, but we're going to close at this point. I'd like to close this in prayer, and I'd like the ushers to come forward, uh, or the musicians to come forward with a final song. Father, we thank you for uh, our brother James. We know that he endured many trials. Uh, We know that the apostles endured many trials. We know our brother Paul endured trials for 17 years before he was ready to to be used by you, Father. Um, Father, as trials come upon us this week, give us the grace to understand uh, that Uh, that this is not a tragedy, that there's something very good, there's something planned for us, that you want us to be complete, entire, wanting nothing, and that this trial is showing us, if it's bothering us, that there's something not complete in us. And Father, give us the grace to bring this incompleteness to you, to confess to you that we have, in fact, secured ourselves in that which is not secure. And confess that to you and ask you to take us into your arms to give us security in you and you alone. And Father, we pray for one another that you would give the person to our left, the person to our right, the grace this week to yield themselves to you without reservation, to secure themselves in you, that you might perfectly love them and bring them the fullness that you intend for them to have. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.